not knowing that one of those appointments that I took her to, the doctor was going to pull me aside and let me know your mom has six months or less to live. And they had just walked her into chemo. And he says, you cannot tell her because as soon as you tell her, she's going to give up. You need to walk in there with a smile on your face and sit there for the next eight hours with her and act like you don't know a thing. I turned 50, y'all, and I started a podcast. Really, age is just a number. It comes down to how we choose to live and the choices we make in our life and those things accumulate. Don't let the programming of life keep you from doing things every single day that, that make you happy. When we feel good, it's easy to think good. Life is not happening to you. You are your life. You are happening to your life. Hey, welcome to the podcast. In this conversation, I'm talking with my very dear friend, Christine Churchman. Christine and I met originally in Bakersfield when we were about 16 years old, uh, when we both tried out for the cheerleader team at Bakersfield High School. Go Drillers. Um, and we've been uh, friends ever since. Um, I consider her one of my closest, dearest, cherished friends to this day. And we've shared so many different life experiences together. One of which is, is that we have both helped our mothers um, navigate um, their cancer diagnosis and ultimately their death. Um, so today we talk about what it's like to hear the diagnosis and move through treatment and um, what it's like to ultimately to lose your parent, lose your mom and what it's like on the other side, um, how it's affected our life, um, and how we live even to this day. Um, this is an experience that has shaped me greatly in my life. Um, it's one of the contributors to why I created this podcast and, you know, the whole reason, um, behind the idea of a good day to die is that, Life is short, and really, if we can find a way in every day to experience something or know something or feel something that means something to you, um, then and doing that a little bit each day is what I consider making every day a good day to die. I hope you enjoy this episode. You know, we talked about having this conversation a couple weeks ago, and I just wondered what um have you what have you been thinking about i mean i'm sure you've been thinking about a lot of things since we set up this time to talk but how has it been for you anticipating having this conversation you know it was an easy yes when you asked me to talk about this and then i think moving forward and getting to this day and actually we're going to spend time talking about it um more anxiety kind of built up I think a lot of more of the um, emotions connected to um, her death connected to me again that, you know, you don't feel those on a regular. It's been almost, it'll be 21 years the, in October. And to really connect to that has brought a lot up, which is good. So you mentioned her, you're talking about your mom. Yes. So why don't we start, you want to start with just telling, talking a little bit about your mom and, and, and who she was and what she was like. 
who my mom was. She was, hmm, she made life fun. Mm. She really did. She had a quality that wherever she went, she made friends. Um, wherever we went, my mom always led the party. And in the sense of just making everyone have a good time, she was very approachable. She enjoyed laughing and enjoying life and spending her time with friends. And she didn't like to waste her time sitting down on a couch doing nothing. She was always busy, um, always a, she worked all the time, but on her free time, she enjoyed her house, her decorating, um, she just had a real zest for life. She was a skier still at the age of 50 past 50. That sounds old <laughs> and your kids saying that it seemed old, but it's not now. Um, she was a people person. She really was. And she adored David and I, my I was brother gonna, and I. I was just going to ask yeah. about how close, if you guys were real close or, or what was, how close was your relationship? With my mom? Yeah. You and your mom. Growing up, I, we were a lot alike in some ways, and so we definitely batted heads. And uh, after my parents divorced, my brother and I lived with her. And when I became a teenager, we really didn't get along very well. And I moved in with my dad in high school. Um, and it wasn't until into my 20s we got closer, but we definitely got closer when she got sick. And mm -hmm. it it healed our relationship, did a full mm -hmm. circle. Mm -hmm. So, and that's when you moved to Bakersfield, when you moved out from living with your mom and you moved in with your dad, that's when you moved to Bakersfield? Yeah, I was 16 years old and I moved to yeah. Bakersfield. Yeah. And that's when we met. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, so tell me about what it was like for you when, um, when you, when she was diagnosed or how, tell me the situation, how old was she? How old were you? What, how did you find out? So I had been married almost eight, not even a year and she was diagnosed with a bilateral breast cancer, right? Both, both uh -huh. breasts. Uh -huh. And, um, so I would have been 28 at the time when she was diagnosed and I, <clears throat> my aunt had already had breast cancer. So I just thought, okay, piece of cake, we'll get through this done. And she went through chemo. Like she never even had chemo. She had no reaction. She was never sick. She worked every day. She had the best attitude. Everything was fabulous. And she felt the same way of like, I I'm good. This is I got this. And I mean, she was still spending every summer or her summer at, um, she had a trailer and a boat, ski boat. And where we, where she lived in Kingsburg, Selma, there's, uh, the, uh, Kings river mm -hmm. in Kingsburg and her summers were spent there. And so she would go to chemo and go back to the river and be there all summer. So she did great. And, um, like I said, my brother and I just kind of, okay, it's just something she's going through, but didn't take it, 
didn't freak us out that she wasn't going to survive because like I said, my aunt had already had cancer and she was a survivor and doing well. Mm-hmm. And so we just expected things to go that in that direction. So how long was she, how long had she been diagnosed before you got to the point where you realized this was going to be a real battle for her life? It was probably about six months after, maybe even longer. She'd probably been cancer-free for almost a year. And then she started complaining that her stomach was like, she could actually do like the belly dancers could, you know, they could roll their stomach, Mm -hmm. but it would do that on its own. And she told her doctor, she was going to her regular checkups. And the doctor said, no, you're good. You're good. We don't need anything. We don't have anything to worry about. And my brother and I kept pushing her. You need to get a second opinion because this, there's something wrong. And sure enough, her second opinion was the cancer had already moved to her liver. So it metastasized through her body. It was in her lymph nodes and her liver. And so then we knew this is this round of chemo is not going to be like it was before. This is aggressively attacking her um, body to kill the cancer that was inside of her body. And, you know, at the time, my brother and I live here in Bakersfield. My mom lived an hour and a half to almost two hours away in Selma. She was seeing doctors in Fresno, which was 30 minutes away from her. And my mom um, was alone. She didn't have a spouse and, or, you know, significant other. And um, so at the time she, she was able to get herself to her appointments or her friends were taking her. Um, But then it started becoming more clear that this was more serious than we thought. And she was having to be on um, major pain meds. At the time she had a fentanyl patches Mm. that she was using and um, became more serious with how sick she was. And it was aggressively attacking her body. The cancer was. Yeah, fentanyl is uh, like the strongest painkiller you can be on, basically. And at that I mean, time, well, I don't know what it is now, but the fentanyl patches she would get, they'd be in this certain like five by five square. Well, you'd cut off, you'd supposed to cut off a certain amount and patch it on your body. And this had happened before where I was going to drive up and take her to her appointment. And my, her neighbor calls me and says, Tina, I'm really worried about your mom. I went over there and she's a zombie. Um, she's like her head, her eyes are just black. She's just like out of it. She's sitting on the end of her bed. And she just keeps saying, Tina's going to get here. Tina's going to get here to take me. And I said, no, I am coming. And uh, she goes, no, there's something wrong. So we get there. Well, she she was so out of it, she continued to put patches on herself. Oh, God. So she was, you know, over-medicating without knowing that she was over-medicating. Mm-hmm. And that was <clears throat> when we had a discussion with her doctors of recognizing she cannot be alone anymore. She needs regular care. She needs someone with her at all times. Mm-hmm. And that was really, um, that was, that was a hard, um, realization that happened. And it was at that time, um, 
I, I kind of want to talk about how we found out she was dying. The doctor had a discussion with, with me. Um, she was seeing a great doctor in Fresno, and my brother had a, a, a plan, a planned vacation or trip to Cuba for had had planned it way a year in advance. And my mom and I were persistent. You need to go. Don't worry about it. I'll be here with mom. Don't worry about it. Not knowing that one of those appointments that I took her to, the doctor was going to pull me aside and let me know your mom has six months or less to live. And they had just walked her into chemo. And he says, you cannot tell her because as soon as you tell her, she's going to give up. You need to walk in there with a smile on your face and sit there for the next eight hours with her and act like you don't know a thing, which was unbelievable and so sad and hard because I couldn't call my brother. There weren't cell phones really at the time. That was over 20 years ago. There were, but not a lot of people had cell phones. Right. And plus I wouldn't have called a, he's going to be home soon. Not going to call him mm-hmm. to talk, you know, ruin his trip. But it I don't know. It was like a moment of I can be strong and I can be strong for her and that she can lean on me and I don't have to be the one that's going to make her worry, you know, mm-hmm. like let her, cause my mom had the attitude that she was going to beat it. Even how bad she was. She never let go of that. Really? Until almost the very end of, she never had doubt. She never, um, she, you know, she never gave up. She never really? gave up. Yeah. And she, and, and I, I want to touch on that, but I just want to get, stay with you when you're in that moment when the doctor's telling you, you know, her prognosis and you're like the only one in the world with this information. Um, you know, looking back on that, do you think, are you glad he told you? I mean, do you, do you, you know, how do you think it affected the way you interacted with your mom? Um, I was grateful he told us or he told me and I was grateful that he was very, he was a really great doctor. He made it clear of, I'd rather you not let her know, let her continue her hope because that's keeping her mm-hmm. alive. And just to have that conversation with me, a lot of doctors don't, they're very mm-hmm. just black and white. This is what it is, mm-hmm. you know? He was not, um, I, I don't know. It just, it helped me move forward and all the things I made sure I talked to my mom about before she passed. It really that, did. Yeah. So like, to, this is my opportunity mm-hmm. to say everything I want to say, mm-hmm. to forgive her for anything I need to forgive mm-hmm. her or she needs to, you know, without letting her know. You're going to die. So tell me everything. You know, mm-hmm. It was never that. It was never mm-hmm. that. Yeah. That is, that is an amazing opportunity to just have, to know that instead of kind of like blindly holding on to the, the hope for a miracle and a healing mm-hmm. that you look at this time period as like the precious time that it is and use it as wisely as possible. Yes. Yeah. Which I was so fortunate to do. And my brother and I were both fortunate to do because, you know, there is, there is the patient who is slowly dying and there is 
uh, you get a phone call one day and someone's been in a horrible accident and you didn't get to say your goodbyes. You didn't have that opportunity. So in that way, I feel very, very fortunate for my brother and I that we did have that with my mom. Right. So he told you about six months she had to live. Did she la- she live six months? Um, a little less than six months. Yeah. Yes. And I was very, we were fortunate as again, where at the time I was an esthetician in Bakersfield. One of my clients husband was one of the um, oncologists here in town and her doctor ended up was went to medical school with him. They were good friends. So he got her, my mom with the doctor here in Bakersfield and had that connection that I, I, you know, they were able to get us in when we needed to get in quickly to start everything. But we were fortunate to transition her from, we moved her out of her house and she moved in with my husband and I, and um, she started all of her treatments here in Bakersfield. So once you knew that she had six months to live and that she was dying and not going to re- recover, how do those conversations go with your mom about her continuing chemotherapy treatment? You know what I mean? There was no discussion about her stopping. There was um, allowing her to take the journey that she was wanting to take and her choice was I want to, you know, I'm going to do chemo until I can no longer do chemo. Um, and that's what she did. Unfortunately, you know, with doing chemo, her quality of life was deteriorating quickly. So there wasn't a lot of, Oh, we have six months. Let's do a trip. Let's do this. Let's, you know, let's do that. Let's do all these things that we, we know we're not gonna be able to do in the future. It was just regular going to the chemo center on a regular basis, coming home, taking care of her and uh, making sure she was fed. There wasn't a lot of, there was a lot of quality time with us. We definitely are a family. Um, the three of us, my, my brother, my mom and myself, um, we enjoyed comedies and watching, you know, TV together and movies. And, um, there was that, but there wasn't any discussion of, you know, maybe it's time because it, once things, she was here for a while and there was just like a catalyst of, uh, she went to get her, I think they were doing a test on her lungs and they ended up puncturing her lungs. She ended up in the hospital. Well, then from there, there, you know, just her cancer was moving so quickly and she wasn't getting chemo that, you know, we're quickly into the hospice. Mm -hmm. It it just moved Mm -hmm. forward so quickly. But I will say there was one time, um, because she wasn't eating a lot and she'd every once in a while get a craving and, you know, certain things she'd want to eat and what she knew she'd be throwing up. But I remember her, I was, she was, we're sitting, sitting in my bathroom and I was just looking at her and I mean, she just was miserable and you could just tell. And I said, mom, it's okay to quit fighting. It's okay. Like we don't, you can, you can, we can quit doing the chemo. You know, you're, you're not, 
the chemo is not going to make the cancer go away. You're not going to get better. And my mom just rose up and like, she had no strength and just like, how dare you? Uh-uh. How dare you tell me that? Mm-mm. You are not the one that's going to tell me that I'm not going to live. And she was right. I had no place to tell her that. It was all her decision. But I remember when the strength she had and it was, oh, my mom came back real quick. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's- and I did that. I regretted that for a long time because really someone telling you you're going to die is not. She she knew the doctor said your mom knows. Right. But she's still fight. You know, there's no reason to tell her that. There right, was no right. reason needed to tell her that. I was going to ask you, you know, if you had any regrets, you know, that's, about the that's time. Fun. Yeah. I think that was my only one that I did that. Yeah. So and how I long- thought I was making things better of letting her know. Um, So how long did she live with you and, and your husband? She probably lived with us for probably hmm, two months, Mm -hmm. two months, maybe a little longer. And, um, you know, at the time I had no kids, so it was very easy for for Jet and I, which my husband was huge help with my mom. So yeah, she moved in and, you know, she had a home in Selma and my stepmom and my dad, um, they moved, they went to the, her house and packed all of her house, her, her entire house up. And my mom never questioned a thing. Like she never said, I want to go home. I, and this was when she was still doing well. Like she, she definitely needed 24 hour care. She needed someone with her all the time, but that was amazing to me how it just flowed. And mm-hmm. she accepted that she was living with her daughter. Mm-hmm. She accepted that her house was no longer and she was never going to see her house again. And my mom, she did not have the biggest house, but she had the most beautiful home that she created in her backyard. Um, she did a lot of great things back there and just made this beautiful garden um, as in the trees and the streams and just different um, flowers and, you know, giving all of that up. Mm-hmm. It, it, that amazed me about her that she never questioned it or never said, why, you know, I want to go home. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. want to be at your house. I, mm-hmm. She accepted that she needed to be where she was. And mm-hmm. one thing about my mom too is, which I'm amazed at. She never complained about her life. And, you know, we all have shit that goes on in our life. And she had a divorce. She didn't have the best, you know, parents growing up or experience with her parents. And my mom never complained about her life. She always said, Tina, I've had the best life. And it's the life that she created for herself. And she was so happy in, in the life she created for herself. And she didn't have a lot either. And that always, Mm -hmm. she lived in her own happiness, what she created for herself. Mm -hmm. She lived in her own happiness. Isn't that beautiful? Mm -hmm. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm also just imagining, 
how it must have felt to be able to, as you say, move so seamlessly through the phases of her later disease, moving out of her house and moving into your house and mm-hmm. allowing herself to be held by you and Jed and David. And I mean, you know, there's got to be so much comfort that comes from being held that way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's almost like she knew, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I just think that there's something so beautiful about, you know, having that kind of care and attention when you're struggling to beat a disease like that. And also at the same time, probably knowing that most likely you're, you're not going to beat it. Yes. I I really, I was thinking about it today, driving that, you know, she really trusted me. Yeah. Um, 100% to take care of her. And I remember, um, this was at the, at the last couple of weeks of her life. She was in the hospital and I was there all the time. Um, Is this because she was on hospice? So she was in the hospital or something else? Was that no, when she was, was in hospice. No, she didn't get hospice. She was in the hospital before we got hospice. Because of the lung? Yes. Yes. And that was a catalyst that the once her lung got punctured and we had to be in the hospital – her cancer just right. Yeah, like her body couldn't keep, her body couldn't keep up anymore. I mean, it was just like too up. much. But you know, <clears throat> she. <laughs> there was a time I left, and um, David called. I had gone to Target. I knew we were going to be bringing her home, and I went to get oh, you know, setting up her hospital bed, getting the room ready in the house for hospice, and. David calls and says, you need to come back to the hospital. She just, she knows she just, she just wants Tina. She just wants you to get here. Uh-huh. Um, and like, she trusted me to be with her. I mean, I, her and my brother were very close. Like they were best friends, but it's when she got sick of like the person that she trusted, that she knew that I knew what she needed and would take care of it was, um, I had the pleasure of being that person for her. Right. Right. I know you and I both agree um, that being um, close to our parents and and specifically our mothers um, while they were going through their cancer battle and and being the one that is able to be with them on a day-to-day basis, although it's one of the hardest things, at least for me, I've ever done, um, it it is a privilege. Like we both acknowledge that it is a privilege. We see it as, as, um, one of the greatest gifts that we, you know, got to have. Um, so your mom was how old when she died? 56. 56. So young. So how, what was it like for you after your mom died? Like immediately after? Even knowing she was going to die, I still was in shock. Like, you're never prepared. 
Like even though you know, even though you know it's coming, I still, I struggled. I struggled for quite a while. And even though you felt like you did say everything, which I did, looking mm-hmm. back, I did say everything. You feel that you didn't, you didn't have enough time. And, and even though I knew she was no longer any pain, she, <clears throat> she felt that she knew in her head that she was going to a better place and she had peace with that. I did not have peace. Mm-hmm. I did really struggle. Well, do you remember what those emotions were like? Anger. Yeah. I was. I was angry at God because my mom was very devoted, a very devoted Christian. And the entire time when she was sick and times when she was in the hospital, I mean, the cancer had moved to her spine, to her bones, to her lymph nodes, and the last was to her brain. And that's when she became, um, was not able to speak anymore. But before that, her body was just riddled with pain. And um, in the hospital, she never said, why me? She never yelled at God. Um, She was always sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that was like her mantra. And that was her meditation. Really looking back when you see things and, uh, and everything I know about life now, what I've learned and I'm trying to become better at is my mom had a lot of that in her life without even knowing what it's, what we call, what what we would consider calling it now. Right. That her meditation was sweet Jesus on a regular would that would help her through the pain. Mm -hmm. So you said she never, she never would say like, why me? Why me? But after she died, did you ever wonder why her? 100% I did. 100% I did. You know, um, to be completely honest, it was why my mom and not somebody else that they, you know, they're not living their best life. They're not... um, why take someone who, mm. like I said earlier, when we first started, my mom just made life more fun. Mm-hmm. And why take that joy from my brother and I so quickly before we even had children, which my mom always wanted grandkids. And um, she never had that opportunity. And yeah, it was. So, and you, you know, I feel like it's almost like we have we're had the same experience. Like everything you're saying is so similar to, to my experience with my mom too. But um, ultimately, you know, it's been, you were what, 28, 29, 30 when she passed? I was passed? 30 when she passed. She okay, passed so in October 25th, so 2001. So 21 years ago, is that what you said? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in that time, have you been able to answer the question for yourself, why her? It's not a question about why her, but why not her? Um, 
why not her when she did have a great life? She was ready to, when she was, when it was finally came to the end, she was ready to leave. And, and I really believe she did leave with no regret, even though I said she didn't get to experience a grandkid. She didn't do a lot of stuff maybe she wanted to do, but she left, she led her life. She lived her life very authentically for who she was and unapologetically very independent woman. And I can see why it was her, you know, my, um, my mom has 10 siblings. She's oh one of 11 oh and <clears throat> there have been quite a few in our family that have already had breast cancer, but my mom's been the only one to die. Wow. And I, I just feel like she was, you don't want to say ready, but she was prepared. My mom 100% had a piece when she uh -huh. finally came to the acceptance she was dying uh -huh. and it was easier to watch her leave mm -hmm. us, um, knowing that, that I think it would have been even harder for me if my oh, yeah. mom died with an angry heart, um, yeah. an angry, a why me mentality. Yeah. That would have made my own struggle that I did have even harder, which is unimaginable how bad that would have been. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, what's funny, Joanna is talking about all this stuff is making me it makes me recognize the resiliency that I have and the strength that I have. A lot of it does come from her and our I'm 50 one. <laughs> and I recognize our struggles weren't the same, but I have struggles and I have recognized that my mom, her strength, it is something I do have gotten from her because I've been able to get through a lot of, um, a lot of, um, experiences in, in my life. And have got, gotten through them on the other side wiser and smarter. And I've learned from them. And I've learned about myself of what I needed to change or um, accept. And this talking about my mom and all of this coming up and just really talking about her experience is making me recognize that I have those, a lot of, the strength I have is from my mom that I, I was always regretful if I, I don't, I wish I was, my brother's a lot like my mom. He can go anywhere and make friends. He's always, he's funny and they love music. I mean, all these great things. My mom was a great, she loved to host a party. I'm not good at any of those things. And I was like, why don't I get any of my good stuff from my mom? I'm like, as we're having these conversations and I'm thinking and reflecting a lot of the great stuff about my mom really yeah feel that yeah yeah it's amazing when you reflect back on an experience you see it differently but you see there's always good and bad in anything that happens in life
There can never just be something that's so terrible that that's the end. Even in the most terrible things of my mom's death, there has been so many positives that have come through it. And I believe that in any circumstance in our lives. And, um, yeah, my mom. And ultimately we all know, you know, we all ultimately know that we will lose our parents. Mm -hmm. And I think the anger, at least for me, I don't know if this is for you, is like, uh, you know, losing your mom at age 30. um, It's like, you just, it's like, yeah, I know I'm going to lose her eventually, but you know, you, you just see all this lost time, you know, you see all this lost time, all these opportunities. And, and then it's comparing yourself to all these other families and all these other people mm-hmm. who, again, don't have the same quality with, you know, of lives or, or that, that don't have the moms like you do or relationships that you had with them and, and, or who are just generally horrible people and they live till they're, you know, 95 and you're just like, how does this make sense? And I know for me, <laughs> for me, I had to just like, after my, I was angry for many years after my mom died. And then I got to a point where the only thing I could do to explain it and to feel okay about it was that. I, I say some, something or somebody must have needed her more mm-hmm. than she was needed here on this earth. Yeah. She was needed somewhere else because, specifically because of who she was. Yeah. She was, she was needed somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And my mother, too, had what is 100% at peace and accepted her fate when she was dying and, um, you know, when she, when she was alive and, and fighting and, and in the acceptance mode, I, I remember it, it, it made me crazy. It made me crazy because I wanted her to fight. I wanted her to pick up that, you know, baton and fight and um, try everything and never give up. And, you know, one of the things I'm starting to realize, especially as I'm getting older, and facing these same, you know, p- potential concerns mm-hmm. like of getting cancer myself is that I'm going to die. We're all going to die. Mm-hmm. And it's like the sooner you can get right with death, the sooner you can get right with life, first mm-hmm. of all. And then like the sooner you can get right with death, the less painful this is going to be for everyone, <laughs> including yeah. you. And, um, because. And when you say right with death, I don't think you mean like, I'm ready to die now. Like it's more of like right with death. If I'm going to die someday. So live the life I want to live now and do all the things that I want to do or learn or change or become. I mean, everything that you want to do, don't stop and I'll do it later. I'll do it later or um, that's when you're ready to, you're, I'm going to die. So why am I going to wait? Why am I not going to change those things now? There, um, I'm not going to be able to explain this correctly. And so for anybody who listens to this, please forgive me. I am in the, I'm in, 
I am in the process of studying this and I will talk about this at a later time, but there is some, there is a philosophical way of being a philosophical, um, um, course of, of study. And I'm not saying it's right, but it's called stoicism. And, um, it's kind of a, a philosophical outlook and, um, and one of the things they call them Stoics, one of the things Stoics practice, they have different practices and one is called like something like last time thinking or last, the last oh. time exercise. And it's where you maybe take five minutes out of each day or just whenever you can think of it, imagine that it's the last time that you're going to be doing this thing. Um, and I remember I, or when I was um, in Aurora Grande um, last week and I knew it was the last few days that I was going to be at, at, the, at the house and in Aurora Grande for the summer. Um, and this is my, the, the house that my parents built 20 years ago. And my mom loved this home, and now I love this home, and my dad's living there now. But I was on the beach, and I mean, it was a real, it was a real, um, like, slow band-aid pulling off to, for me to leave that home last really? week. Really? Yeah, yeah. And um, I had been almost every day, either myself or, or G and I, we'd walk the dogs on the beach. Um, we drive down to the, to Grover beach and walk the dogs. And so we'd, I'd be at the beach every day. And like the day before we left, I was, you know, I was on the beach and I was, um, just like, I, I practiced that exercise of imagine this is the last time, like, look at these dunes and look at the plants on the dunes and look at the wind and the plants on the dunes. And like, imagine it is the last time you're going to see this and like experience it right now, like this moment, you know, and I just, I was, it was like a moving meditation as I just, uh. and as I was, I was walking and, you know, so incorporating these kind of techniques that I'm learning about, um, you know, making this every day, these, 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 not that we want to spend every moment in this, like, you know, psychedelic, you know, appreciation of the fucking plant, yeah. but like where you can have moments where you're like, today's the day, today is the day that matters. Yeah. You know, and say the thing mm -hmm. and do the thing, you know? And, um, but yeah, uh, I mean, so you feel as years have gone by, you feel that you're able to accept it more, like accept the the fact that she's gone and, yeah. and accept that you, and really you're, you you know, it's almost like we, I, on one hand, I almost, what you're saying is like you have, you, you're realizing you have these traits about your mom. And I, I have been doing that too over the last eight years since my mom mm -hmm. has passed. And, um, and it's almost as if, and I don't know if this is the same way for you, but for me, I haven't, I wasn't able to truly emerge as myself, my, myself and really take the place in the world as my kind of adult woman until my mom was no longer here. It's Interesting. like, she, I've always felt that she had such a big 
presence in our family and also in our life, you know, in her, our community, you know, our greater family and friend network yes. and such a big presence. Um, and for, for, and then when she was gone, it just felt like a big black hole. And I, you know, at first everybody's kind of like chaotically going hole, big hole, you know, like yeah. what do we do? And, yeah. um, and I tried to fill the hole for a while, for a long while. I tried to fill the hole and that doesn't really, you're like, I keep trying to put stuff in the hole and it's not filling, yeah. like it doesn't work. And then somehow I get to this point where I'm realizing I can just like, you know, kind of allow myself to expand, myself to expand, not trying to fill something else and fill her shoes. I, yeah. And, and I feel like these traits of my mother kind of blossoming inside of me. Uh -huh. Um, that I don't think could have blossomed in the same way with her still in the physical presence in this world. And interesting. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I. You became I, your own person. Yeah, and and it's a it's you know it's it's a becoming right. It's like yes. there's no there's no. There's no line you finally cross. There's no. Yeah. It's an ongoing mm -hmm. thing. Um, you know, it's funny you saying that because like I brought up that I always like, why didn't I get any of my mom's good traits? Well, you know, no parents <laughs> perfect and we're all human. And my mom was a yeller and a screamer. And for years I was too. And. <clears throat> I'm definitely not that person anymore, which has changed me significantly, but changing just because my mom is that person didn't mean I needed to be that person. And I felt like, well, this is how I didn't know any different. And it took me a long time to realize, but I can relearn, not just because my mom, you know, it's my choice now. It's not because my mom... And that's been huge for me. And maybe if she was still here, she'd still be screaming and yelling. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you the ever, traits we get from our parents. Do you ever um, get the sense that your mom is in, in the same energetic field as you? A hundred all the time. All the time. And nobody else, my brother definitely does not believe like I do. Um, but no, I can still smell my mom every once in a while or a certain, am I thinking about her and something that is a, meaningful to me, a certain song will come on or, um, yeah, I definitely have my mom's energy around me a lot. Um, just like I said, I was sitting here and I'm redoing the big hutch are painting it and everything is off the hutch on the, my dining room table right now and everything's just upside down and I was moving stuff and I move on pictures hadn't thought about the picture forever but it's a picture of my mom and that's my mom like I'm right here like you yeah, know that right, gave me right like don't forget this is about me bitch <laughs> you better talk about me <laughs> it just reminded me like she's here yeah. So I'm going to switch gears for a minute and, and just recap. So you lost your mom when you were 30. Um, 
so, and then just to give context, um, my father, my, um, birth father, I don't know what to call him. I have two dads. I have a biological father who was my dad and I have a stepdad who raised me since I was six. Um, and my, my birth dad died when I was what, tw just 22, um, of pancreatic cancer. And then my mom died, um, when I was 43, um, of pancreatic cancer. So if we're keeping tabs, we've got two <laughs> birth parents dying of pancreatic cancer. Um, there you go. Um, and you lost your mom to breast cancer and you've already mentioned that some of your aunts also had breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, and your and cousins and cousins and your dad also has my dad, my dad has prostate cancer right now. And your dad has prostate cancer right now. Yeah. So we've got cancer. Um, we've got cancer very, very, we've got parents dying of cancer very, very young in their lives. My yes. dad was 49. Your mom was 56. Um, and of course your, your dad is 78. Is that how old he is? Yes. 78. So, um, I hope he is <laughs> 76, yeah, 78. Oh yeah. Don't, um, <laughs> So knowing that, and I, and, um, you know, not that, not, you know, I've been kind of researching and reading, kind of getting, f f refreshing my memory and current statistics about, you know, like the leading causes of cancer and cancer mm -hmm. rates and, and, um, whether or not, you know, death rates in parents, what, how much does that affect, you know, whether, you know, their children's rate of you know, potentially getting cancer. I mean, they definitely, yeah. you know, as well as I know, they ask it on every doctor's appointment you ever go to. They want to know your family history of cancer, but. Yes. Um, you know, you know, knowing the fact that we've got this cancer in our, in our family, um, I'm curious, you know, how you think about yourself and your own mortality and, 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 you know, like, do you worry about it? Do you, you know, live your life a certain way? Or is, now that you're getting over 50, do you think about it more? Like what, what, if anything, are you thinking about in, in as far as like, whether you're not, you are or not likely to get cancer more likely get than cancer. other people? Mm -hmm. You know, I, <clears throat> I definitely believe that if you worry about something too much or, a lot, then you will bring that into your body, into your mind, into your soul. And I am aware I am getting older and I, and I am, a you know, I regularly do my mammogram, but I'm going to change that over to getting a different type of test regularly for my breasts. Um, as in the health wise, I am a supplement queen. I probably spend more money monthly on my supplements than that's probably my biggest expense in my life mm. of just greens. And I eat, I eat mainly healthy. I'm not a fast food person, fried person. Um, in that sense, I'm a drink, I'm a water drinker, hundred percent. Um, on the health side of that, that's what I'm doing for myself. You also quit, you also quit smoking. Quit smoking. I, um, on the other side, I'm just recently finally getting it, the 
all the orders in in a row to where I can get the BRCA test, mm -hmm. which will give me, um, let me know if I carry the gene for breast cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be handled differently than I thought recently. You had, we had talked about this and you had said, no, you don't have to just remove your breasts anymore. There's other um, forms of tracking that if I do have the gene. So I am being proactive in that instead of just walking blindly and thinking, oh, you know, if I get it, I get it. I, I, in my family, unfortunately, I do hundred percent think it's a ticking time bomb. Um, my, my mom and her siblings were farm workers, children of, um, worked in the farms. And I believe that their breast cancer is from the pesticides because mm -hmm. I've had three cousins. Now I've fourth is presently been diagnosed and I've had my mom and and uh, with also three aunts have all had breast cancer all on my mom's side so it's just kind of like who's next so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think recently with my cousin who's 54 who was just diagnosed and it's it was, it's too late of the diagnosis it's it's already stage four it's in a it's metastasized to a lot of areas in her body mm -hmm. and that may woke me up. Um, mm -hmm. okay, really get the BRCA test. Let's be proactive. Um, don't put my head in the sand. So I am doing those taking right. action to do as much I can for my own health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, when I was kind of, like I said, refreshing my kind of working knowledge about cancer statistics and, um, and also the leading causes and like the, you know, the recommendations from the powers that be, you know, as mm -hmm. far as what people can do to lower their risk. Um, you know, I think there's like a top tier thing that's kind of like, oh, all the obvious things. Like if we all did the obvious things, then we'd eliminate obesity, diabetes, you know, Alzheimer's and heart disease. So it's like, mm -hmm we need to be doing these things, right? Like it's yeah. basically like, you know, it's what we eat and, you know, whether or not we exercise and we manage our stress and we sleep good. And I, you know, I think we need to take supplementation, like you said, because our food supply, you know, you, you it's very difficult to get the nutri nutrient value out of our food anymore mm. for years. By 50 years, it's been that way. Probably the whole time we've been alive. Um, you know, and then all the chemicals we're, we're exposed to, right? So it's like all of these things that would probably reduce our cancer risk. Again, uh, it would get us all to a healthy weight. It would minimize metabolic syndrome and diabetes, reduce heart disease, dementia. All of these things are related to, you know, inflammation in the body. And, um, yeah. you know, I think... You know, I was think. I think, you know, I also felt like I've, I'm a target, you know, um, like you said, um, when you have so much cancer and um, it's hard not to think like it, it's not a matter of if, it's more of a matter of when. And um, I, I've often thought about throughout my adult life, what would I do if I get cancer? And that, yeah. and, and the answer is not always the same, you know, it's kind of has changed over the years. And, 
Um, but then where I was going with that is maybe it would be like, it would, might make sense to live a little bit like as if you did have cancer in the sense of, okay, if I got cancer, what would I do? Oh, I would change my diet. You know, I wouldn't. Isn't that focus, true? Yeah. Right. I would change my diet. Mm -hmm. I would exercise more. I would reduce my stress. I would do these, these things, you know, minimize this, minimize alcohol, quit smoking, you know, and, and it's like, why wouldn't we do that ahead of time? Yeah. And we do. I mean, the only reason I quit smoking is because I don't want to, I don't want to contribute to my side. I mean, I, I'm obsessed with smoking. I love smoking. I would smoke every single day if, if I, if I didn't think it was going to kill me. And yeah. I do think, it, I do think it's going to kill me. So I don't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, um, like alcohol is a hard one. Yeah. You know, because that's like, it's a carcinogen, you know, it feeds the sugar. Sugar, linked, linked sugar beats cancer. cancer. Um, hundred percent. So I don't know. So, do you feel like as you're getting older, you're you're thinking more about like your daily habits and the different things? And yeah, I'm beginning to recognize, like you know, the drinking. That's just that's another thing that could be definitely um, minimized. Um, that would be helpful in the sense of slowing down, you know, instead of feeding anything that could be possibly, you know, in my body in the future. But it's like what you said of like, you know, once you get it, then this is what I'll do. Or you think, okay, well, what would I do if I had cancer? Oh, this is all the stuff I do. Well, but it's already almost too late because right. you're frightened. You're, you're going uphill in the gravel. Right. Instead of playing walking in the meadow like this right. and you're already doing that. So it's preventing, it's bouncing off right. of you, you know? Yeah. That's something to really think about. Yeah. I mean, I think it is something to think about, but I think um, it's not, and it's not just cancer, right? I mean, I really do think it's like, I've been reading, rereading and re-remembering this whole idea of the, um, anti-inflammation diet, you know, Dr. Andrew mm -hmm. Weil created the anti-inflammatory food pyramid and it's kind of like a Mediterranean based diet, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, just thinking about getting a little bit more serious about the food, the food situation, you know, it's a constant battle, as you know, I mean, it's just, constant. it's a constant battle, but, um, yeah. I mean, do you think about that? I mean, do you think about, I mean, about like cancer, how much is pest, like you said, pesticides, you think it was the pesticides. Uh -huh. Um, and so you, you, you obviously feel that there's a high burden put upon us through ex um, environmental chemicals. Yes. Like that's yeah. like, that's a bullet. That's a bullet for me. Yeah. Just with how many people have had it in my family. I mean, that's yeah. it's not random that so many no. of my aunts have had breast cancer, you know. And they all worked in the fields? All my, my mom's siblings, they all worked in the fields. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So 
When are you getting your test done? I'm waiting. The doctor's office made a mistake. They thought I was pregnant, so they gave me a different test. I'm just waiting. Hopefully next week it'll be done. Wait, it's just a blood. It's wait, just a blood work. Preg- huh? How could they think you were pregnant? Because my doctor's office is failing me, and so I'm going to take my health care in my own hands, and I'm going to be finding a new doctor, new practice to be going to because they continue to fail me on so many levels. This has been a process for me to get this BRCA test done. And it's a simple blood work. And they're, it's such a large office that their communication is breaking down. And I'm not gonna, I'm gonna go find somewhere where I'm gonna get uh, taken care of the way I should be taken care of. Good for you. Yeah. So that should be done though in a week or so. I mean that done. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. So, so we t- we I, I mentioned. No, that I want dad- to ask. I want to ask you a question. You brought up that you know your dad passed away. Your birth dad passed away when um, you were twenty two, pancreatic cancer, and then your mom passed away of pancreatic cancer as as well. And is it still? Is it still considered rare for women to get pancreatic cancer? Because before it used to be very rare, but now it seems like it's a level playing field for men and women getting pancreatic cancer. You know, I don't know the answer to that at all. Um, I, I have no idea. My suspicion is because my parents' lifestyle were, were two very, very different lifestyles. My uh-huh. dad's. My dad smoked and drank to excess, and my mother uh-huh. did not smoke and did not drink to excess. And um, so for them both to get pancreatic cancer, I feel that it was some kind of environmental, um, something in the water or some kind of exposure where uh. they were both exposed. I don't know. I just think it's so... It can't be a coincidence. I mean, yeah. you know, um, I don't really know, but um, I don't, yeah, and I don't know about whether women get it more than men. Um, I think there is a link, you know, and it depends on what resources you look for, because like, if you look at the National Institute for Cancer or, you know, um, you know, you, if you look for a traditional kind of allopathic, you know, cancer information, they're going to tell you one thing. And then if you go and look at functional medicine doctors and naturopathic medicine doctors, they're going to tell you a whole nother story about what causes cancer and things like that. So, you know, it's, that's, that's one thing that's really difficult is all the different information out in different types of information out there. And, um, you know, I feel I've been talking with my boyfriend about this the last few days as I've been really thinking about this subject matter and just thinking about what's happened to our world in the last, really since the 50s. So now it's going on 70 years of what's happened to our food, you know, the industrialized food revolution where everything yeah. started becoming from fresh food to packaged food, from you know, everything went to monocropping, this huge industrialized farming complex, these huge monocrops. And then we have the pesticides, the 
every single thing that anybody's eaten for the last freaking 60 years has been sprayed with Roundup. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so we're losing the nutrition in our food. Plus we're poisoning ourselves with the, you know, with the, um, pesticides, you know, we're smoking, we're drinking, we're stressed. We're just radiation from everything all the time. And it's like, and we're fat, right? We're all just fat, just eating sugar and, 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 and oil and, 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 um, uh, what's the other one? Salts, you know, and processed foods. It's like, it would be weird if, if all of these diseases weren't happening, like if we weren't having an epidemic of obesity and diabetes and heart disease and cancer and Alzheimer's, it would be weird if that wasn't happening because yeah. of literally what we're doing to ourselves, Yeah, you know, but well, we can go and hope we can go in a completely different direction about the food sources we have. I mean, it's cheaper for a family to eat at McDonald's than it is to buy fruits mm-hmm. and vegetables. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like setting people up to fail. It's setting people up to die. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, so that's all the food is what's happening to our food. And then you've got the whole pharmaceutical global, you know, um, situation where they're just, they're just trying to like throw pills at symptoms all day long, all day long, yeah. because that's what they do. And people want to feel relief, right? People are in pain. They have symptoms. They want relief. And we have just been taught over the last, again, 50, 70 years that don't look inside yourself. Yeah. Don't look inside yourself. Don't take responsibility. It has nothing to do with what you're doing or what you're not doing. Yeah. You've got this symptom. Let's give you this pill. And, you know, I, I put in my notes as I was doing my research, I came across this woman named Dolores Cannon, who is a, a, a very well-renowned hypnotherapist. Actually, she was famous for um, initially um, putting um, regressive um, past life hypnotherapy on the map, Dolores mm-hmm. Cannon. But I found this quote of hers where she said, every disease is your body talking to you if we would only just listen to what it's saying, Uh. you know, every symptom, every ill, you know, and we've completely let go of this like mind body connection. We have no, we're just, we look outside ourselves for the answer, you know, like where's the answer doctor, tell me what I should do, you know? And, um, and it's like, we all actually have this inner knowing of, of whether, we're in a state of disease or, or health, whether it's mentally, physically, a combination of both. And we've just, we've just become so disconnected and the, the, the pharmaceutical company, the industrial medical complex, the, the food system, it's all just not, not only like emotion, like it's emotionally and physically keeping us away from our, our knowing and our food because, um, we're so separated from the farms and from um, our food supply and how that food even comes to fruition. So we're just we're just completely disconnected from ourselves and from um, the food supply. So what else? What else should we? Anything else we want to capture? Um. 
I just want to hit on a couple things about <clears throat> what I learned about my mom having cancer or yeah. going through the process of having a parent who's dying. Um, my stepmom recently passed away from pancreatic cancer and um, we're very fortunate. My dad, they had wonderful marriage when they just loved each other so much. And he, he was fortunate that he was able to take care of her, but that wasn't what I wasn't what I was getting to. But what I learned about when my mom when she got sick is you have to be an advocate and you have to be an advocate for the person who is sick when they can no longer be an advocate for themselves. And it's okay to get second opinions. You're not going to hurt the doctor's feelings. It's about your life. It's about their life. It's not about even if you do offend a doctor. Who gives a shit? It's your life. And it's okay to, uh, if you, if some people would call it selfish to think that way, but to do whatever you need to do to um, have your voice be heard and decisions and what you're wanting or what you're wanting from your doctor is so important. And it's okay to feel all those things and to expect those things from your doctor. Um our biggest lesson was when my mom's cancer moved to her liver, we didn't know anything at the time. And we also didn't know that she can't just be eating red meat. She can't be eating all these carbs or tortillas that are, her, her liver wouldn't be able to process it, which would just cause more issues for her stomach. And we were never told, well, she needs a dietitian. Oh, mm -hmm. well, you know, we just, the doctor said she can eat whatever she wanted. Yeah. Well, doctors don't know everything. They, well, they, they don't. They don't know anything with, about nutrition. They don't have any nutrition. No, not training. at all. And just because they say that doesn't mean that's true. That doctors do not know everything, and it's so smart to do your own um, investigate to to learn what everything you can about what you're dealing with instead of expecting your doctor to tell you everything and ask tons and tons of questions. Well, that's what I'm saying. Instead of looking outside yourself for all of the answers, we have to mm -hmm. look. We have to look inside ourselves and also research. And you research. know, don't just believe everything everybody tells you. Yes. Well, my but, doctor said, or even not questioning. Well, my doctor said I can only do. I can have one pill every two hours. Okay, but you're in so much pain. How about you have two? But well, my doctor didn't say that. Your doctor's not here. <laughs> It's a lot of it is too. There's old mentality of the, you know, older parents or grandparents. They just feel like, you know, what your doctor says, that's what you do. You don't, you don't waver from what their directions were. When it's okay to waver, you know, your doctor is not a god. I, I remember when my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and I just couldn't believe it because my dad had died of pancreatic cancer, and I was like, how does this even happen? But I was like, okay. I'm prepared because think about it. It was 20, it was 21 years later. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm ready for this. Like God prepared me for this. I, 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 I got my practice run in. I'm ready to go. And yeah. we went to the doctor. I went to the doctor's visit with her. I took, had all the questions, you know, and, and then I was researching all of these integrative places for her to go and all these naturopathic places, natural remedies. Cause I was really afraid of her to do chemo and, and she did go to those places with me. She she went and we interviewed those integrative and naturopathic doctors. And um, 
and ultimately she decided to go with, you know, the, the traditional oncologist. Yeah. It was so hard to swallow that pill. It was so hard to swallow that pill. But I feel like, I feel like looking back now too, it's, you know, number one, it's her decision. It's her life. Her journey. It's her journey. And number two, you are the witness. And also you get to practice letting go in that moment. You get to practice, Mm -hmm. I'm going to supply some information and then I get to let go of my attachment to the outcome. Yes. Yes. This isn't about, this isn't, I mean, it's not about, her decision is not about me. What is about not, me? Yeah, is you're not it, being rejected because she doesn't go with your 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 choice. It's not about you. No, it's not about us. No, and that's hard as the daughter, right? Because we're raised mm-hmm. we're raised by these women, and and frankly, you know, we like it was about us. Like it was about us for a long time because they were our moms, yeah. you know. And, yeah. And now it's like that letting go of <sighs> that it's not about us. Yeah. Until it is. And then we get to drive everyone crazy with our decisions. And um, <laughs> that's what I, my I think I, 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 I joke. Take care of me. Say it again. I, let's hope my husband's still alive that he can take care of me. Yeah. My dying age. I, uh, I joke and say, the second I get cancer, I'm going to start smoking again. I want to be like, <laughs> I'm be like fuck it. Because I've done everything to prevent it. Now I'm like, fuck this. Where's fuck a lighter? Oh, let's go. <laughs> Bring it on. You know you have a secret pack in the fridge just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> There's a seal on it. It's time to pop the seal off. I wish. No, no. I don't. It's like nuclear war. It's happening. <laughs> one more one more swag before <laughs> oh gosh so now so your dad your dad has your dad's been sick with prostate cancer for like what three years oh, I think four and it's been a process for him as well and um you know I think we found a great doctor now the new doctor he's seen I feel is very um, invested into his case and is, mm, I could, I felt a little that he felt maybe surprised that other, other, uh, resources were not already given to him before his PSA number is already so high from his Mm -hmm. recent doctor. And I feel like he's going to start taking control of it, but I, I I think his outlook seemed very positive. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's just a new. So how has it been different for you navigating, you know, being a supportive, you know, daughter to your dad? How is it different or or is it different? Like, how are you approaching it differently? Very, very different. You know, my parents divorced when I was in fourth grade. So my dad ended up remarrying when I was 17. So he's had a wife for years. My mom never remarried. So. Her, you know, she was very, David, the three of us were very close. She was very close to David and I. And um, 
when she got sick, it was just, yeah, we're going to take care of you. You know, we're going to help. And it, we're just a unit. It was never questioned. Right. When my stepmom got sick, it was very different even for my sister, who she took care of her father who had passed away as well from cancer years ago. When they are a unit, my dad and Judy, to where they didn't need our help, which was very hard for all of us to like, but let us, they didn't want our help at all. They were very private people. And that's the way they are. And it was hard to let go and accept it because we felt like, well, no, we could be helping in some way. Um, but it, so it started with Judy getting sick and letting go and allowing my dad to take care of her the way they wanted to do it. And they did it the way they wanted to. And um, very grateful that they had each other. And, and uh, my dad took such good care of her till the end. And now we have my dad who we're going to deal with his illness again. And my relationship with my dad is much different than my mom. You know, we're not as close as and we have emotional conversations about how we feel. And, you know, mm. we really have that connection. So he's very makes jokes or, you know, I don't need you guys to help me. I, I really feels that he I really think he feels a burden like I, I shouldn't burden my kids with this. Mm -hmm. When what the fuck are we here for? Right, we want right, to be right. here for you. Like you are, you mm -hmm. are, you are, you are hurting us by not allowing us to be here for you. Like this is a gift for us, and so allow us in. And I've been, I'm the good cop, bad cop with my brother. Like my dad said recently, you don't need to go to my bone scan results. No, I'm going, and I don't care if you don't want me to go. You don't have a choice, Dad. It's ridiculous for you to go by yourself because in any person in those circumstances, my dad thought he was going to get the worst news ever. He wanted to go by himself. You will not be able to com compute what he is saying to you and, or even remember what he said right. to you. You need someone there, and when you don't think of a question, but you know, so we were there, and he was grateful that we were there, and, and we did. We filled in a lot of gaps for my dad that, the doctor was asking and my dad completely forgot about surgeries or procedures he had had done. And so I think we're more forceful with my dad of we're going to be involved. And it mm -hmm. is my, just my dad now. Judy's not here. Right. You know? And so it is, again, we're, I'm fortunate. My dad lives, lives three miles from me, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, but he is a very independent man and I think it'll be a slow process for him to accept well, we're going to be at your house. I got keys to your door. <laughs> Can't right, right. Away, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, you know, that you're, you're, and I also kind of sense in, in the times that we've talked about your dad that you're, you, you don't seem to, you definitely don't seem as panicked. You seemed more balanced in your approach, more pragmatic. Mm -hmm more kind of thoughtful. I see you letting go. You've told me about how, okay, they didn't want us over. They, you know, so we didn't go, you know, like when Judy was still alive and they didn't want people over or, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's hard when your family doesn't want you over for holidays or different things or yeah. whatever. And you know that they're both sick with cancer. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's gotta be really, really hard. Like, that would really break my heart if my, if my, you know. But, but it really like admired, what some of my mind about Judy is that like, you know, I was saying like, you need to be an advocate for yourself and say what you need. This is what she needed. She didn't need people to be over. Right. She didn't need to talk about that. She's sick or that she's dying. Cause mm -hmm. she knew she was dying. 
and it, it had it, I grew up a wider respect for her, but also knowing that I can do that for myself as I can, I can say what I need. I don't need right. to make sure everyone else is feeling good around right. me. It taught me that's okay to do that. Yeah. And to let go of it. And it's not about me, you know, don't be offended by it. It's... Are you able to see that not only are we capable of holding boundaries and saying what we want and saying what we need, in a cancer diagnosis, but we can do it on a day-to-day basis inside of our home with our, with our partner, with our children, with our community, with, you know, our neighbors, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, we don't have to wait till there's a crisis to be like, okay, because I'm sick, I get to hold my boundaries. Have you, has that thought occurred to you? Cause like, there's a lot of people and I think more, more usually women more than men who have so much trouble saying what they mean and not going when they don't want to go or just, you know, saying yes when they really mean no and yeah, doing things that they don't want to do. I think I, when I turned 50, that changed for me. Like I, I'm pretty easy about boundaries now and not worrying about what any of my family thinks or if they feel like I'm being rude when, I mean, I'm not doing anything in general to be rude, but just the boundaries I have with people now or family members is okay to have and should have, you know, you, everyone has, you have to have your own self worth and your so peace, inner peace. You can't let someone come in and just like make spider webs and cobwebs and, jungle gym go crazy inside your right. own head. Well, it's that's like when you, you don't, that you're like that then say it again. That's like, that's on you that you're like that. Then you can't be complaining of how crazy everything is. If you don't have your boundaries, right. like slow down and go, okay, you can, there's certain things you can do put in place that you don't have to be in this chaos. All that's the time. right. And I think the question is interesting when, when I say, if, why am I afraid of saying no to this? Or why am I saying what I need in this moment? Is it be, it's because I'm choosing that. It's like, I'm choosing their happiness or what I think that they want more than me. Why would I do that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think it's this people pleasing, you know, I want to look good. I want people to love me. I want people to accept me. I want to be liked. Yeah. That's a disease. I don't have very many friends. People don't like me. (laughs) I really like you. Too many boundaries. I really like you. Um, Okay. Anything else you want to get out there before we complete? I think you hit on it that it's, it, Watching or, you know, experiencing the death of a parent is so hard, but I believe it's one of the biggest gifts that my brother and I were given Mm. that we were able to be with my mom's bedside when, when she took her last Mm. breath, real blessing Mm. that a lot of people don't get and they still have their moms here. You know, I, I, that's a blessing that Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for. Mm -hmm. I remember, um, it was like three days or, you know, two or three days before it was her birthday. Yeah. It was her birthday on, on 
It was June 14th, right? And then um, mm -hmm. I think she died on, God, the 19th. And um, so I think it was, so I think it was on uh, the 14th that um, she, she needed her hair washed. And so I remember in her bed, I, I washed her hair, she you know, and um, dried it. And, and then mm -hmm. we put, you know, curlers, I did curlers in her hair. And, um, and I just remember that moment, you know, that I got to have with her and how much I got to like take care of her in that moment. And, and yeah, and she let, got to let me take care of her. And it, it was like the most precious taken every moment moment. I'll never forget. I'll never forget being in that room. You know, and um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for the world. And I I miss her so much. Like I miss her so much. And I don't feel my mom. I don't. She doesn't come to visit me. <laughs> There's been a couple times in a dream where she did, and it was so magical. And and then and then I really felt her presence. The one and only time I really felt her presence was, and I think I told you this when I sat in an ayahuasca ceremony and. Costa Rica and it was like she just zoomed in and it was it was so amazing but um yeah the great you know I wouldn't trade uh -huh. going through that experience for anything I mean um but yeah it's it sucks not having your mom for sure it sucks completely I mean that's you know, we're we're part of the club of lose. You know, having parents die of cancer, but we're also part of the of the club of you know being without our moms. In my opinion, you know, too soon, way too soon. Yes, yes. Anyway, and we're also from the Bakersfield Club, and we're also from the Dr Drillers Cheerleader Club. <laughs> <laughs> One's a driller, always a driller. <laughs>